Welcome to Conversations in Equine Science. My name is Kate Acton and I'm joined by Nancy McLean. And this is the podcast where we take equine research and try and make it accessible to horse owners and enthusiasts alike. Remember that with each topic we discuss, it's important to get professional advice before implementing any of the strategies. This week, Kate and I have a special guest. Her name is Ida Hammer, and she is the founder and director of Mackinac Dells 2 Whole Horse Hoof Care School. Now, Ida was my teacher when I opted to go learn hoof trimming and hoof care, and whether it's glue on shoes, whatever you need to do, Ida can teach you. Um, Ida, it's so nice to have you on, and you changed the whole direction of my equine career. So I'm going to let you introduce yourself, give a little history, and we'll go from there. Thanks, Nancy and Kate. I'm glad to be here. And um, yeah, I'm like, and you rock as a student and a, as a continuing educator yourself. So I'm excited to be here. Um, I started on this. Uh, I've had horses since I was a little kid. And, you know, we just did all things traditional, just like everybody else does, because you just do what you do until you don't know, until you, nah, until you know better. But then once you know better, you have to do better. But we had race horses also um, when I was younger and we did the racing quarter horses. And for a bit of time, I like I jockeyed also. And then we had um, different horses that we did different things. I'm like, I did competitive trail riding and um, we I did a little bit of barrel racing and uh, like just for fun. And then Ada and I bought our first cutting horse. Um, oh, probably in the early 80s. And we were all excited because we was going to do this whole cutting thing. And like, it's, it's, it's quite an expensive sport, especially for someone that like, you know, we, I was pretty young and didn't have a lot of money at that time. But one of the things I want to uh, say about that, like before we even get started with all the rest of it is um, with that horse, I'm like, we, we searched high and low to send her to the best trainer. And so like back then, you know, you don't think about when you're asking about best, best at what, what, what are they best at winning? Were they best at taking care of the horse? Were they best at doing the right things? And so you like hindsight's twenty twenty. So our horse was very talented and he rode her long and hard. And there was lots of things that happened in between times. But when we got her back, um, Ada had worked, was working with a vet at the time and um, she was lame and she's just on and off lame constantly. And she was only by then five and she got diagnosed with navicular disease. So we did everything that we were supposed to do, you know, to help her get better is, is like everything. We followed it to a T. I'm like, we did isoxaprin and wedge pads and heart bar shoes and all that kind of stuff. And she really never got better. I'm like, I bought farrier science texts. I, I could think of, cause that was way before the internet. So I was like, I just added to, more to my library to try to figure out how we could help her and nothing ever really did. So fast forward, you know, several years. And so like, in classes, everybody already knows, and Nancy, you know this. It's like uh, everybody knows that Ada buys pretty, so they don't have to really be sane or sound, just pretty. So, yeah. so, so she found she she wanted a blue roan, and and we we found the the coolest looking blue roan ever, and we didn't do a vet check or anything, and so she was pretty, but 
<laughs> we, we took her out for the first trail ride. You know, she like like she pulls back. She's not exactly um, your calm, quiet horse. So Ada decided that, you know, maybe I should take over that horse. And so we were doing all kinds of neat things. I'm like, the horse is real rangy. I'm like, we both adored her. And I had spent a week. I took her. Um, we took her to Florida for a week to ride at the Pirelli Center. And when we did that, my people were doing cool things. We were starting some bridalist stuff and all that stuff. So I, I would preface that with saying that to get to Florida, it was two 12-hour trips down and two 12-hour trips to get home. And then we, we worked pretty hard for six days straight with her. So it was, it was a lot to, to do. And then hindsight, I can, I'll fill in some extras um, when I get to the like feeding horses thing. But um, when she came home, she was presenting lame. Pretty, pretty, she's got a significant score, scar on her left hind. And when they, they were doing her examination, she was really, like, at palpation, she was really flinchy about that. But they kind of zeroed in on her right front foot um, as far as, like, being diagonals and stuff. And she has a significant bone spur on her navicular bone. Like, they did x-rays. And, and so they painted us a doom and gloom picture for her. Like, she was only six. So they're like, um, so... You know, you're going to have to do isoxaprine, heart bar shoes. Like, we really consider that you should consider doing a nerectomy. And we doubt very much that this horse will get past uh, being a teenager because it's just really bad. So, you know, we, Ada and I talked about it. And she's like, we already spent our first million dollars on the first horse. And, and you need to find a better way or get rid of her or put her to sleep because it's, it, nothing worked for the other one. Well, when when you come to our house as Nancy has, you know that nothing leaves once it's here. It's kind of like <laughs> California, so so um, they all stay. And so I found, you know, I searched high and low and found, you know, a program that that would work to try to help her. So I started um, I started off with the AA and HCP and uh, did lots of mentorships and stuff and got started with that. And that's at that time Pete Ramey was in that group too. And um and came home and and got the shoes off of both of our navicular horses, and um the first one was sound like with the first trim, getting her shoes off, and uh, doing everything correctly. And then Bobby, which is the blue roan, she was sound within two trims. But one of the first things I learned when I was going through the classes with all of that is that um like we were we were feeding her horrendous diets, you know like we couldn't make our, our feed sweet enough for them. We fed sweet feed and pure alfalfa. And, um, and that was one of the first things I remember the first class I went to and they're like, you know, you can't be feeding this stuff. And I'm like, I was devastated because, you know, like I think at that point for probably 35 years, I had been doing everything I'd always done. And I never made any connections that that had anything to do with the stuff that was happening. So, you know, we changed the diet and the trim and everything all at the same time. And, and, it, and it wasn't literally miraculous, but it seemed miraculous because taking out two major parts, um, one being the horrible diet they were on and two being the long toes that they had and, and, and proving that and improving their movement, my, both of those guys became like really sound. And like in my classes and I'm like, and I don't know, like I have the classes in person and online now, which is really helpful because now, like, especially since COVID, because I can reach everybody is uh, across the, across the pond per se. But um, through all of that, like you start to realize that there's, there's rarely just ever one thing. It's, you know, so, okay, 
we think it's the trimming and we think it's the shoeing, but it's, it's everything together. So putting all that together and seeing the differences, you know, I just continue to get educated and to learn from like, I, I've gotten, I've been so fortunate with who I've gotten to learn with. I'm like, I've learned from Pete and Dr. Bowker and uh, Dr. Deb Taylor. And I've got to spend time with Carrie Richway before he passed and um, just, just a, a wealth of um, really super awesome people. And so fast forward, that is, um, you know, I, I, we, uh, the, Pete started his own group, the American Hope Association, and we was part of that. And then it folded in 2020, I think. And so um, I still, I'm still a member of the PHCP, but um, I have my own certification program. And I, I think I'm last count, I have like probably around 140 to 150 graduates throughout the country and um, some in the UK. And, and it's just been like, I don't know. I'm like, I could jabber on about this. I could never shut up because it's just the most awesome job in the world so you know it's absolutely amazing and to hear that first mayor had been you know lame really for years and like to me that would have been a real miraculous within the one trimming you see such a difference yes and so what the crazy part is and so like this is when we don't know what we don't know and now I'm I'm literally I'm obsessed with all of it because it's it's about the whole thing it's about the Every single thing is about the the diet and the the body and the feet and the teeth and the exercise and the mind and the movement. But what we didn't know, so when she, the first horse got diagnosed with navicular disease, and there's different types of navicular disease. So when someone says my horse has navicular disease, I'm like, I want to know what kind because the first horse got diagnosed with it, and and it was basically she had bursitis. She had bursitis because she was a young horse. And when we bought her, she was raised on whole corn and uh, unlimited pasture. And then she was ridden probably oh, six to eight hours a day by a really big cowboy for she was 14 one hands and like and ridden hard and worked cows and all that kind of stuff. And when she came home, like we're feeding her the worst feed that you could feed, you know, like and it was it was horrible. But the double part of that is, is I took equine nutrition classes in the seventies where like the three main staples were oats, corn and barley. And so I, I stayed with that for all these years, but the only thing I did worse was just add like molasses to it. So like they've, they've got sugar for inflammation. They've got stress for inflammation. So she had bursitis, but when we, when we treated her for navicular disease without actually understanding what the situation was and how to develop the rest of the foot, we actually made it worse because we caused her to land on her toes and, and realigned the way she moved. So getting her off the inflammatory diet, giving her a break and shortening her toes. So we, we took the leverage off of the deep digital flexor tendon and the navicular bone was a, a, like it, it, it wasn't really a miracle, but it kind of seemed like it because it's just like you took three of the worst problems away or cause problem causers away. Yeah, that it, that is amazing. And I saw the same result with my big mare that has both front legs have a flexural deformity. So I sought out instruction from Ida because every time I had a farrier trim her, she would be sore. And, you know, I kind of figured out I need to know how to do this because she needs more frequent trims. Mm -hmm. Yep. Less hoof taken off each trim. Yep. So 
anyway, that's how it's always like there's a horse that leads you to, yep. to you know, maybe what your gift is in this in this horse world, you know. But anyway, yep. um, I think isn't that blue roan still alive, Ida? Yeah, yeah. And she's yep. and so so there's there's two different things with, with her because she has a bone spur on her navicular bone. And so at some point that will take its toll on her because it's an uh, it's a um it creates an abrasion between the DDFT and that bone. But I think she's 21 this year and she's still the boss of the herd. And and <laughs> it just de it depends on um, how much she does silly like during the week as to if she's lame or not. Like she can go around quite a bit and not have any issues. But if she starts busting a move sometimes, I'm like, she comes in and acts like an old lady. Hey, <laughs> so I want to say, don't we all? Yeah, I was going to yeah. say, I, I identify. Yeah, <laughs> yep, me too. It's like my, my brain thinks I'm 20 and my, my body says you liar. So. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, well, Ida, um, the next thing I, I saw you put a posting on Facebook years ago about how people can assess the trims and the shoeing that is being done. Do you remember posting that? Um, I, I post it often, but I can, I pretty much have it in my head and I'm like, and I have, I have certain things that I expect, um, from my students and, um. I really, I'm pretty, I'm pretty, I don't, I'm never mean to anybody, but I'm pretty strict with some of these things because like if without them, you're missing a piece of the puzzle. So um, first I would say like any, I, I want to say what the trimmer should do. And then, um, and some things that can kind of help you identify if there's a problem, but every trimmer that's trimming, I'm like, if they just, if the horse is on the cross ties and they just walk up and start trimming that horse, I'm like, I'm instantly alarmed. I'm like, because you know nothing about it then. You know nothing about how that horse moves, how it travels, if it's having a problem traveling, how the foot hits the ground when it's traveling or anything. I'm like, I'm, for me, I want to watch the horse walk to me and away from me and do sharp left and right hand turns to see how that they can weight individual limbs. And I want to do the same kind of thing with um, a, a slow disengagement of the hindquarters so that I can see how they weight their hind limbs. All that gives you a piece that you already know before you pick up a hoof to start trimming. Because horses, just like people or every creature, I'm like, I, it's gotten so bad that I, I watch my dog's toenails to see how he wears <laughs> his toenails. But but every every creature has its own landing patterns. And so if you if you know what the landing pattern starts out as when the like say that the horse is doing fabulous it's feeling great it's doing really good if you know what that starts off looking like then you know if something changes that something's starting to change and you can catch it so I want to know those things and back when I started I'm like it's always kind of a standing joke but like we didn't have the, the cell phones and stuff where we could just snap pictures and little videos and stuff so so you know I would either like have to cart an old time camera around with me or take notes or, or memorize it. And so now there's no excuse not to do that stuff to document changes because a horse, a horse can be off and not be lame, but if it's off for long, it will be lame, but you can stop that if you, if you notice subtle changes. So I want to see the horse move. Um, I also don't like it when people walk up to the horse and just grab their leg and start trimming without an introduction because then you don't know what kind of day the horses had. I'm like, and it's just rude. And then, 
and it is it's like yeah I, I tell all my you know like you've been through all the classes so you know my speech but I'm like you wouldn't go to the doctor's office and the doctor walk into the room and not say anything to you and stick a tongue depressor in your mouth I'm like you would be like hey dude like so, <laughs> so it's just a, a few seconds of kindness can like and just visiting and see what kind of day maybe they had a bad day in the herd maybe you got chased a lot or something but if you can yeah. just, you know, kind of connect with them for a second, it makes a big difference. I'm like, and like uh, an extra minute can save you 20 of a horse having issues. Yeah. So um, th that's the part I like to see before we trim. And then um, I am a huge, huge, huge um, opponent. Uh, or I should say, yeah, I'm like, I guess opponent might not be the right word, but I hate long toes. <laughs> yeah. So, so. And, and I would say out of all, and us, us included, so I would say like lots of things, um, the old days when we didn't know what we didn't know, um, the horse's toes were always long, but yet they always seem like they're not long because that's the normal. But then when you actually start to study anatomy and, the um, and the ground forces of the foot and all the stuff that's involved with it, then you're mortified to look at anybody's horse's feet because <laughs> all the toes are too long. Yeah, so, so long. And you know what? That's I tell people a lot of times they should put swim flippers on and walk around. Yep. And see how that affects your breakover. Yep. You know, well, I've recently incorporated. I bought a pair of clown shoes for my classes <laughs> because yeah. no one understands it until they actually can experience it. Because yep. we and and you see long toes, but you really don't know what that's causing your body to do. And so um, there's a, a brilliant researcher, Renette Weller, why, I might say her name, Renette Weller, but so for every one centimeter too long that the toe is, for every extra centimeter of toe length, and like it adds um, 50 kilograms of pressure to the tendons that's affecting the flexor tendon, the flexor tendon and the navicular bone. So it's not just about, um, it's just not just about like the hoof appeal, it's like it's about body damage and, and you can't have those added forces incredible um that is so say someone has their horse's feet done and the horse is sore after what words what is your feeling about that that's unacceptable yeah so um so like these are like so it goes back onto my list of rules of of what what trimmers do and what you're supposed to do and what you should do but um I always talk to the clients. So I'm just going to go from what I do with my clients and like, and I really, and everybody's their own trimmer and they can have their own version of this. But with my clients, I'm like, the first thing I do when I get there is I ask them how the horse has been, you know, during this trim cycle and taking all the uh, notes. I'm like, if they've been good, I'm like, I'm happy. If they've had issues, I need to know about it and how soon it was after the trim and anything that precipitated it. And are they having any issues now? And then if, if the horse walks to me good, and it walks away from me anything less than what it walked to me. It, it, I, I made a mistake. It's like, and, you know, I'm like not proud of any mistakes. I hate it. I hate it when I make mistakes. I lose sleep over it. But I've learned more from my mistakes than I ever had from my successes. Yeah. So you have to start looking at, like, each individual because they're – there is no two creatures alike. So you can have horse A, B, and C, and they all look like pretty similar. Maybe they have similar looking feet. They just the similar weight and everything like that. But each one of those horses will have 
maybe something that they need different than each horse. So when I teach people to trim, I'll teach them a theory, but then the theory is the guideline and the reality is the trump card. So, so if the horse walks to me and it's happy and it walks away from me and it's not happy, that tells me instantly that I have made a mistake. So I will, you know, I'll see what I can do. Like, so like I'll give you just a little example and, and then it can go, it can vary from that. But early on, we were taught, you know, that we were supposed to uh, scrape all the exfoliating soul off and, you know, get to live soul and not carve the soul, but scrape all the excess off. So, you know, I was doing that. And this is what kind of like changed my mind on it just because of what the horses told me. So the horse walked across the gravel driveway to me just fine. And I, like I did a non, not an invasive trim, but just the regular theoretical trim where I scraped off the exfoliating sole and walked away from me. It wasn't limping, but then when it walked away, it was ginger on the gravel mm-hmm. and he wasn't ginger on the gravel when he came to me. So I had him bring it back. And I said, I'm just curious because the amount of exfoliating sole I took off, it didn't really amount to much, but so I duct taped the, I put duct tape on the bottom of the horse's feet just, you know, a thin piece of duct tape just kind of covered the bottom. And I had him walk it back across the driveway and it acted just like it did when it first came in. So just that little bit of difference. So like that piece of information tells, told me that, hey, this horse needs that the expo- to exfoliate his own soul so that he's not, I don't want him to have a moment of discomfort over something I did, even if it was theoretically correct. Wow. That's amazing. That's that this is just, yeah. it's so interesting. I think from my point of view, because I would be a bit more removed definitely from this. Like when I think back, we have a farrier that comes out. I've got a retired old one-eyed Connemara pony, Isa, that lives in um, a field, just a life of luxury really in her Mm -hmm. days now. But Mm -hmm. she just gets trims. Her hooves are left natural. And when I think back to when I would have been in the riding schools and seeing the farrier come out to the riding schools mm-hmm. and how they went about the greeting, the horse absolutely didn't happen. And that's like an element of respect for the animal that's just lost. So when you said that, I thought back and thought, yep, never saw that. Now this was about 15 years ago, Yeah, but also the, like when the horse is getting tired of having its, hoof up there would just be a gruffness about it there just always seemed to be more of a struggle and I don't remember ever walking the horses up and down I just remember it was a long day of bring that horse into that stable bring bring it out bring another horse in yeah I'm like we lived through that too and it's and and as I start trimming horses I'm like how crazy I mean and and I'm guilty of it too because that's what we that's what you know we didn't know no one said you should do this or that so we had our horses shod the same kind of way and trimmed the same kind of way but then when as I started trimming the difference just like to spend and it it's only 30 seconds to a minute but just spending just like feeling with and of the horse just like of its day and then and then proceeding and then then like I won't give a horse a chance to get tired with its foot up. And if like, you know, people get too black and white sometimes and they want to go to point A to point B. But like, I just, I just, yesterday I had a day of multiple babies that I go to to pick up their foot and to try to trim the whole foot, trim, trim a whole foot, like, you know, clean it out and then, you know, like scrape it off and, and nip it and rasp it and, and get it all cleaned up. 
that to a baby that's not used to standing on three feet for very long and that is like like his attention span is over with that is like four days to them and yeah. so i'm like usually i'll clean a, i'll clean a foot and then i clean the next foot clean clean do a little bit with each foot then i'll then i'll nip and then go to the next foot so they never have a chance to get bored or to have to stand on one leg longer than they're comfortable for and i do the same thing it won't doesn't make any difference to me if they're a six-month-old baby or if they're a 30 horse that has a hard time holding his limbs up you know just like it doesn't there isn't there isn't this black and white rule that says you have to trim you know like in this procession this kind of way it's like like people um remove themselves from the feeling of the horse it's like if i had to stand on one foot for 20 minutes while somebody's piddling around on the foot that's up i'm like i'd be like i would be fatigued (laughs) yeah yeah and you know what um Kate, the one of the first trims I did in front of Ida was that blue roan horse <laughs> skirt. And I was Oh nervous. wow, pressure. <laughs> I was really nervous that the horse hadn't been sore in a long, long time. And I was gonna trim one foot because she had her students each do a foot that day. So it was a little bit of pressure, but Ida's also the one that started me off with the coach's eye. And that was a great resource to look at to see what your trims were doing as you progressed with horses. Yep. And uh, it's unfortunate that um, if you have the coach's eye, you're still good. But they 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 stopped making it um, a couple, I think, last year. And so you can't get it anymore. But um, when when we're making subtle changes to horses like ourselves and the horse owners like sometimes you miss the progress that we're making because it happens so 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 and and it can go either way you know if the horse is getting worse subtly and like because there's really no such thing as all of a sudden unless it's trauma so it teaches us to be aware of everything that could be affecting the feet yeah yeah so Ida when you go into a barn And you see, are you done with your uh, trimming uh, expectations or do you have some more? Um, I'll probably throw more in there when I'm at it. Oh yeah, I do have another one because there's another, so, because I'm just like, I'm thinking of like things on the fly, but um, uh, another thing that happens, and this is, this is really kind of important because it happened to me and then. Um, it's happened to other people and you don't put it together unless you start to understand what happened. That's why. And I always want the owners to feel comfortable enough to um, let me know, like, whatever happens. It's like, you know, I never want bad news that I made, but they need to know that it's okay that they're the horse's mouthpiece and that um, I, I need to know. But um, so long toed flat-footed horses and thoroughbreds really fit into this category a lot as like you know Nancy and you and I have talked about this in depth over race horses but um so those horses this is where it goes back to theory versus reality because in theory if the toe is is an inch too long and the the foot is super flat and it's fairly thin sold you have to think that okay when you watch that horse walk in, he is, he's compensating in his body because he doesn't have a proper breakover. And theoretically, and I've done this, theoretically, um, you know that you can whack that toe back really pretty far and still be within the correct guidelines of, you know, not being too short, like, quote, too short. 
And so what happens with those horses, or some of them anyway, is you'll do that and they'll walk off so happy for the moment because their body is not having to really overwork that compensation. But in reality, what happens is when you shorten a toe, you actually raise the angle. So that's why a lot of horses have such low angles when their toes get too, too long. But when you shorten a toe, generally that raises an angle. If you're raising the angle of the, where the coffin bone sits in the capsule, then the, the peripheral ridge of the coffin bone is very, very sharp. So if you've raised that edge to where the coffin bone's not laying flat on the ground, it's, it's more at a proper angle, the horse will walk off better because his soft tissues are thanking you. And the next day or two, he won't want to come out of his stall. He won't want to walk at all because he's had time for the coffin bone and the ground to compress the sole and the sole corium. And when that happens, they get incredibly sore and it's still our fault. <laughs> so yeah. I've got one like that, Ida, that flat-footed thoroughbred. Mm -hmm. You know what I ended up doing is taking the toe back gradually yep. like frequently like every two days a little bit yep and i had to do that because if i would have followed my normal protocol well and i did one time this exact same thing happened he yep. went up there happy as can be running around mm -hmm. the next day he was so tender-footed I was like, I had to put clouds on him, easy clouds. Yep. So I was, I've been there, done that. And it's so, I beat myself up over that. Yep. So, same here. Yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah, those thoroughbreds with the um, rolled toe or the rolled heel, the yep. long toe, I'm so careful not to overdo that, that yep. first trim, you know. So Ida, would you uh, mind just explaining for the listeners what the breakover is, what you're actually looking for? So what you really need to look for is um, the breakover. The actual breakover is at the point like the where the part of the foot starts lifting off the ground. And so you want you want your foot um, to be on. And, and the best way to kind of think of this is a teeter totter. So you want your foot to be at a 50-50 balance because if it's at a 50-50 balance and this is going to kind of get like a little blah, 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 but, but <laughs> from the center of rotation, you want to have an equal pivot point. So from the center of rotation, which is, is the center of P2, like if you used to draw a plumb line down, that would make the teeter-totter um, point. And so anything that's further in front of the center point is elongating the breakover and causing more stress on the soft tissues. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that's, it's kind of, I've painted a picture now in my head a little bit better. Um, yeah. But with, have you found as well, um, because you were saying about the changes we end up seeing in the soft tissue and the dropping um, down of the heel as well, that horses will get kind of osteoarthritis changes from that too? Yes, they'll get osteoarthritis changes and what tends to happen. And so, so I'm like, I'm obsessively uh, like doing a lot of body research and working with um, some osteopaths and stuff over the changes that happen. But so, so I'll, I'll just kind of go into like one example, 
but what happens is, so there's two major things that happen. The length of the toe affects the amount of pressure that's on the, the soft tissues. And, and when we're talking the we're talking usually the deep digital flexor tendon and its insertion point in the coffin bone and then the navicular bone, which um, the deep digital flexor tendon is distal to the navicular bone in the whole setup. But then, then we're talking about hoof angle also. So if you have the, for every one degree drop that you have in um, the solar or the, like the angle of which the coffin bone is inside the, the, the capsule, for every one degree you drop that like so say that a three degree is a, a pretty decent you know like every horse has their own but it should be a positive angle it shouldn't be a zero or a negative angle and so for every degree that you drop that it adds four percent more pressure on the soft tissue if you have more pressure on the soft tissue all those soft tissue especially like tendons hook uh, muscle to bone so when you're adding t the more pressure onto that you're actually putting pressure on the insertion point of where it's inserting into the bone and then along with the muscle that it's attached to so like on the front legs of horses it the uh, dbft like uh, hooks into the muscle just below the ulna and so when that starts to happen it's not just one muscle that's affected then. So then the horse starts repositioning itself to be able to compensate for the pressure that it's having for those soft tissues. And then it carries itself different, which will add different pressures onto the, to the hoof capsule and to the whole body. That was a long lengthy answer for a simple question. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it was, we love the detail. So <laughs> it's absolutely great. So that's kind of how, it's taking the bigger picture and the whole horse into account and not just focusing on the hoof when it's coming to the train. Yes. I mean, I can't stress that enough because there's, there's, it's a whole big circle of, of events because you cannot, you cannot trim a good foot onto a horse that's have a, a terrible diet. Um, maybe it never gets any exercise. It's got severe body problems. You can't, it's not just about the trim. The trim is a part of the whole puzzle without doing everything together. I'm like, you won't get, you won't get as good of results as you could as if you had uh, proper diet, proper exercise, proper movement, um, and, and proper spirit and, 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 uh, that too, because horses that, the horses that are stressed in it and are not comfortable with their surroundings. I'm like, they will not, like it all matters. And, and I know some, some, and trust me, I'm like, I've came from the old school. So I already know like the old school people are rolling their eyes at me. And I'm like, I just tell them it's okay. You'll come around sometime. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you just, know what? They're, they're missing the whole piece of the puzzle when they don't take environment and, you know, and, and they call it phenotypical, environment if you don't take that into account you're missing such a huge piece of the puzzle oh you are is so so like i'll go back to our first like our first like like when we flipped the switch of everything that we used to do to everything we changed it wasn't like it wasn't the fact that i took the shoes off the horses and did this magical trim that wasn't it at all it was that we took the shoes off the horses and i shortened the toes like further than what most people are taught to shorten toes, we, we completely changed their diet. So it wasn't just one thing. And our horses are pretty much used to living outside and everything. So we didn't have to change too much of their, the environment for them. Cause I'm like, they're out most of the time anyway, but, um, 
managing the inflammatory diet with um, excessive pressure on their joints was a game changer. And it, but neither one of those things, if we'd have just changed their diet, like they might have had a healthier hoof capsule, but that was too long, still creating you know problems in their joints. Or if we just changed the trim and, and gave them a nice short toe, but was still feeding them stuff that was wrecking their joints. So it has to be the whole thing. And then when you start really del- delving into it, I'm like, it's, it's, it's the, the teeth, the, the body, the feed, the, it's every single thing, every single thing that the horse uses, you have to, that's why I'm like, I, when I first started trimming as a natural trimmer, and then I was thinking, you know, I have not seen any horses in the wild wear boots. So I, mean, I can't be a natural trimmer then because that's not natural then. So then, um, I just kept like every time I would like get to another level and not be able to get past that. I'm like, what are we missing? What? Like we have to be missing something because I'm doing everything that I'm supposed to be doing to this part. And so then you add another piece and it'd be the diet and the body work and all that stuff. And it's like, finally, I'm like, and to me, it's like, it's, it is the most fabulous, wonderful journey and puzzle. It's like, it's just so like every day is like a, it's like a Christmas present to be able to find one more new thing to be able to do to help. That is incredible. What a story. And I'm really interested to possibly have you back to talk about the body dynamics, particularly the teeth and the hoof connection, because I have an old mare, she's 25 and she tends to want to grow the right incisor longer and it correlates to her right front hoof that the right heel wants to always grow higher. Yep. And it always gets where her incisors are pointing to the left. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it's connected. I can see it. Yeah. No, and I, I tell you, Ida, I can't find much research on that. Oh, I can. Um, so Dr. Bowker is doing some research on it. And um, and then there's another dentist. Um, his name is Phil Ratliff. He's doing a lot of neuromuscular stuff that is, um, has to do with because so anything in, in the skull is affecting the fascia and the blood flow and and the pendulum. And so it's just everything. Everything that's in the skull is affecting the movement. And anything that affects the movement of the horse will always affect their feet. Like there's no, there's absolutely no way that you can separate it. So if it's affecting some place on the horse, which, you know, when we walk, I'm like, we use our arms as our counterbalance. Horses use their heads. So if, if, if they've got a part that can't flow and, and move correctly, they're not going to like they can they're masters at compensation because their survival depends on it but they are doing something that they don't need to be doing to make sure that that they're staying what seems to be normal wow yep i know there's a connection cuz the minute i started frequently trimming that heel and i'm not saying take a lot off i would just make sure it was balanced more frequently than what I had been doing, she quit the digression into mm-hmm. that incisor shift. Yep. So I, it's so mild. I haven't even had to have the incisors worked on. She just gets regular, um, you know, teeth, her uh, float done yep. every year. But 
when they alerted me to that, I immediately correlated it with that heel. And if I keep that heel under control, I do all right. And you know that I think it's not a coincidence. That is the shoulder that she heard on the racetrack. Mm -hmm. It is not a coincidence. Yeah. There's, there's really like when it comes to the whole body connection, there's never a coincidence. And it's, it's, it's um, and all of us are guilty of, uh, to an extent, but we, we want to just get right to the point and to the easy answer and see what we see and what's the, you know, like, so we, we see the symptom first, but we don't see the, like, it's harder to find the root because you have to backtrack. And so I, I can, I know it's related with the, the shoulder and the tooth and the foot. I'm like, there's not any possible way that it can't. Yep. Yeah. But anyway, I, I got you off track there. Um, <laughs> I don't know I Imagine that. I know I'm going to go ahead and let you talk about what happens when you walk into a barn and you see a brittle foot, lots of little sand cracks, maybe a, it's pretty much to you evident of poor nutrition. What would you recommend someone do to help increase their hoof horn uh, as far as minerals go? So when I walk in um, into a barn like that, so the first thing I would say is um, coming from the background that, that I have, you know, been steeped in tradition and all that stuff. I'm like, I will talk and have conversation with the owners and, but on the, on the level that they're at, because you'll lose people if you go in and you start saying, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. And then they'll just yeah. like get somebody else that don't tell them that much stuff. So <laughs> then, then the horse and, and the owners lose out. So when I walk in, whatever is the most glaring problem. So say that like all the horses have like Shelly, really crappy feet. So I would just, I would, and for me, when I trim and I'd say the majority of the owners like it and some just kind of like go off into their own world. But um, when I go into trim, it's a, it's a continuous conversation about everything I see from the second that I have them walk the horse for me, I'm telling them everything I see, and then I'll walk the horse for them so they can see what I saw. And then um, looking at the quality of their feet and like, and how the foot grows and how it, how it wears. So I'm already talking to them about all of that. I'll show them this. Like, I like, see how this is like multiple layers is chipping. See how your white line is not correct. So then, so then first they need to see something and understand it before that you can tell them how, to, so you can start to help them of how to correct it. If they don't see that there's anything wrong, then they have no reason to want to correct it. So and then I can show them that. And then I would, um, then the next thing I'd ask them, I'd be like, Hey, so what, what do you feed? Discussions about what's in it and like in the type of hay that they feed and that kind of stuff. And then, um, I I'll, I'll give them easy choices to start off with. And then the more they get into it, then like we get more in depth because I'm like, we usually keep like, it's not like we just have an appointment and then I come back in four or six weeks and that's the only time we talk. Usually I, would give them suggestions and then I text them and check back with them within the next week or two to see how things are going with any changes that we did. So I will start off easy on them and tell them that, you know, like, you know, horses don't really get enough uh, micro minerals in, in our just everyday life. So you might want to add something to their, to their um, supplements. And then I try to get them to look for the highest amount of copper and zinc and no added iron in their supplements. Um, like here in the States, um, we feed Kiss Trace, which is a really good um, 
It's just an uh, amazing uh, mineral supplement made by uh, Patrice Sager. And we've had great luck with it, but all different places are different. So then I would, I could guide them to how that they can have their hay tested and um, sent in for analysis to, to actually get a mix that would work for them as well. So I don't dump it on them. Uh, and if they can only afford like, um, even if they can afford like a cheaper brand of hoof supplement that has all the same, you know, qualities, but maybe not in the right, right amounts, mm-hmm. it, it gets them going. And so then, then like what I'll do with them. And, and again, like I said, I'm like, there's not just, it's never, I just go in and trim. We have a conversation about their horses, period, their whole horse. So if they get a supplement then, and then, um, you know, you start to see good hoof growing down, then I'm like, I get real excited and show them what they're, what difference they're making. I'm like, can you see like, like this isn't a quarter of an inch down from your uh, coronary band now. And this is how much better your hoof looks with all the stuff that you're putting into it now. And then, then we just keep watching the hoof grow out. And then the more that they can see the difference, the more they'll want to actually, you know, get into the nutrition, the nutrition too. Um, And I like, I, I, do multiple research uh things with diet though i don't because i guess for me there's really i don't ever listen to anyone 100 percent because um absolutely yeah there's always exceptions to every rule so and each horse metabolizes things Mm -hmm. differently yep they do and i think stress and cortisol makes a difference as well in their absorption of nutrients big time you know, so I wholeheartedly agree. I never listened to anybody a hundred percent except Ida. <laughs> no, nope. I'll tell you, I tell you, you know, I tell all of you guys at class, it's like, yeah. first of all, I expect you to research everything I tell you. And I, and I give you places that you can research stuff without it being uh, compromised information. And um, I, I really don't expect anybody to listen or bleed to me a hundred percent because there is no such thing as, um, like everything's not a clone of each other. So I get to learn from whatever that you didn't listen about and that you found a better solution. So then I get to learn from that. That is awesome. And you guys, can you believe we've, we've almost gone an hour? (laughs) (laughs) It's been so interesting. I could actually listen to you talk about this all day. I've looked up the classes you do and I I don't currently have any need to learn how to trim a hoof, but I'm actually motivated to want to go and do this now. <laughs> well, it would it'd be awesome if you like if even if you were never going to trim a hoof, I would say if you can um if you can check out the Exploring Equine Hoof, um that class kind because of, that that one class is the class that it, it kind of tells you about everything that you'd learn in all the classes. And I get to, it's even different, Nancy, than when you took it. Because remember when, when Nancy took that class, it was a four-hour class. And yeah. that was a six-hour class that I kept going over. Now it's an eight-hour class and I still go over. So. <laughs> it, but, it is the best class. So remember, you held it in my basement. Yep, yep. We have people in my area wanting to come, but they couldn't travel. So we had one in, in my basement. I could take, I'm going to have to take that class over again. Oh, you you have to, because it's like, first of all, I haven't seen you forever. And second of all, I'm like, so many of the classes I'm like, I have, I try to make it and it's the same way online too. So I try to make it that the classes evolve like from year to year, I add stuff. Um, That's why they keep getting longer, but 
um, because there's always more research to either to either like prove that the fact that this is why this is working. And sometimes there's research that says, hey, you know what, we tried this for several years and, and it works okay, but there's this is a better thing to do. Yeah. And so. Yeah. Awesome. And you know what, um, I will put a link to your website on our homepage. And then can you just tell people how to get a hold of you, Ida, um, for virtual classes and in-person classes? Okay, yeah. So for, um, for in-person classes, it's www.mackinawdells2.com. And then if you have that on your um, newsletter or, or something, then you can spell it out. And then um, for the online classes, it's the Mackinaw Dells 2 Learning Center on Thinkific. And um, we're getting, we're going to film a couple more classes in two weeks for that. We're going to keep that, that uh, stocked full of new information. Yeah, I Amazing. love, I would like to, um, to get some artifacts. She has specimens. And one of my favorites is that um, full hoof that has the coffin bone and all the structures. And it's like a puzzle. You can put it together, take it apart. And, and she's got things like that too. Do you still have uh, a few of those items, Ida? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. the neatest thing when you take your first class is you work on a cadaver hoof. And so if you make a mistake, she's going to tell you about it, but at least you're not laming any horse. Yes. Yeah. And, and it gives you, um, it gives you an idea. Then, then we actually dissect it um, at the end and yeah. they're, um, they're freshly f frozen. So they still bleed and you can actually see the blood vessels and everything in them. And it's just, uh, I have done those like thousands of times and I don't, ever get tired of like just seeing new ones it's just there's just so much there every single one of them are different it's amazing the variety and I don't know the first class you'll be hooked Kate you might end up coming to stay at my house to take the real deal no well, this is what I've been planning in the background I thought I could get a visit over to you Nancy at the same time Absolutely. oh my gosh that'd be so fun we could do a it would be brilliant and not be 6,000 miles apart. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, that, that would be fun. I think you should plan it. Yep. All right, I'm going to plan it for next summer, I think, because this has been absolutely brilliant. And we'll definitely have to have you on again, Ida, because I think like we've, I feel like we've only kind of tipped the top of the iceberg of how much knowledge is behind this. And anyone who is interested please do head to Isa's website and we'll put that link in um, the homepage because there are so many courses on there as well. There, There's just a fountain of knowledge. Well, and thank you, Ida, for taking time out. And uh, we appreciate it so much. And we definitely will have you back and tell Ada hello and all your ponies. I will. And thank you so much. I might give us fun. I'll be happy to do it again. Okay. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Take care. Bye-bye.